Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Crime Story Podcast with Carrie Antholis, where stories of crime and justice are told. On today's podcast, Chris Taracone reads his story, The Pack of Canines in the Trial of Robert Durst, which you can find in written form at crimestory.com. Dogs. They're a recurring theme in the trial of Robert Durst for the murder of Susan Berman. Attorneys on both sides identified themselves as dog lovers during voir dire. Deputy District Attorney John Lewin incorporated his own Great Dane, Boomer, into his lesson on reasonable doubt and indirect evidence. Lewin also has indicated that Durst's relationship with his family's Alaskan Malamutes, all named Igor, will be presented as evidence at trial. And, of course, Berman's wire-haired terrier, Lulu, prompted witness Catherine Shawcutter's phone call to the police after a neighbor found the dog wandering on busy Benedict Canyon Drive. This is the story of how that dog, Lulu, triggered the investigation into Berman's murder by alerting one of Berman's neighbors that something was amiss. That neighbor, Sandra Garfield, testified on day one of the Durst trial. In contrast to other witnesses during the first week of trial, her testimony was subdued. That may be because she never even met the victim. Do you see on the people's two where there's a pin there that says 1527 Benedict Canyon? This is Berman Alfred. Do you see that mm. pin? Yes. I take it then you didn't know the woman who lived at that particular home? I did not. Okay. You'd never met her? Never. Her connection to her murdered neighbor was the little dog, Lulu. And did anything out of the ordinary happen as you were carrying the groceries in your home? Yes, a little dog wandered in the house. Okay, tell us about this dog. Uh, I remember the dog's name. This I remember definitely to be Lulu because the dog had a name tag. And um, I remember the dog to be um, about this long and maybe this tall. <coughs> Your Honor, for the record, approximately, I don't know, a couple of feet. Two feet. I'm, not, I'm good at that. And Wide by feet, foot and a half. Foot and a half tall. Um, Would you say it was a smaller dog? It was a, definitely a smaller dog. It had, um, uh, I don't think it had long hair. I remember having um, not short hair, but maybe a little bit, a little bit of a coat. Okay. And I remember it to be grayish brownish. I also remember that um, the dog seemed, seemed quite old, and the dog um, had, I believe, cataracts, or it seemed to be partially blind. Okay. And it was wearing a leash. Okay. You recall the dog was wearing a leash? Absolutely. Okay. You have a good memory of that? That, yes. Thank you. <clears throat> After Susan Berman was murdered in her Benedict Canyon home, her three dogs, Romeo, Golda, and Lulu, were likely confused, if not forlorn. Their owner had been shot, execution style, in the back of the head. The dogs weren't even used to other people, due to Berman's reclusive nature. 
and their instincts must have been to stay near their owner. Bloody paw prints circled Berman's lifeless body, suggesting that the dogs either witnessed the murder or came upon Berman's corpse and tried to rouse her. After Berman remained unresponsive, one might speculate that Lulu wanted to alert humans that there was something wrong. Or, perhaps, she was trying to get someone to look after herself, Romeo, and Golda. Whatever the dog's motivation, she made her way out the back door of Berman's home, through the backyard, and down a side path leading to the street. Berman's next-door neighbor, Marvin Karp, testified earlier how unsafe that road was. What do you remember about her dog? It barked. <laughs> it barked incessantly. Incessantly. A lot. Yeah, did that bother you? Uh, sometimes. Okay. And would they bark when they are in the backyard, inside her house? Could you tell from your perspective? Usually in the house. In her house. Road. Depicted on people's tube, Benedict Canyon. Describe for the jury what that road is like in front of your house. Well, Benedict Canyon is a, is a principal thoroughfare, you know, from going from, say, Beverly Hills or Sunset Boulevard up to Mulholland Drive, so it's a, it's a major, major road uh, to cross over to the valley side if one wants to do that, across Mulholland to go down Beverly Glen Boulevard down to the valley, that's what we care to do, so it's a busy, it's a busy street. Are you saying that people travel that road who don't want to take the 405? Uh, that could be. Okay. Yeah. Um, are there occasions when that road is bumper to bumper? Yes. On the weekend, what's that road like? Sorry? On the weekend? What is On the weekends, well, less, very, sometimes very little traffic. How quick do the cars drive up and down that road when there's no traffic? <laughs> Some very quickly, <laughs> pretty fast sometimes. Okay. Would you say that's a type of road that you would want to leave with small children unattended in front of their house? Definitely not. Would you say that's the type of road that you'd want to leave an animal that you cared about loose in front of your house? Yeah. Why not? Well, there's a chance a dog or anything could be run over. Cars travel fairly quickly on that road? Yes. Is there public parking in 2000 on that road? There is some. Okay. So if someone wanted to visit you at your home in the year 2000, could they park on that road, maybe even down the street from your house? Yes. Garfield also testified that she rarely saw people, let alone dogs, walk on the busy street. How many times have you seen a dog loose without anyone with it on Never. Benedict Canyon? Never. Never before. Are you saying in the 25 years you lived there, that's the first time you've seen a dog loose on that street? I believe that to be true, yeah. Why is it? Is it I saw a about... coyote, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay. So are there are coyotes in that area? Uh, very occasionally. <laughs> okay. And what, is there anything, based on your knowledge of that street, as to why you think you wouldn't see loose dogs there on that street? It's a very busy street, and people drive like maniacs on Benedict Canyon. This is something to which both the prosecution and the defense kept returning in their questioning. How strange it was that Berman's dogs were loose that day. How no one living on Benedict Canyon Drive would ever let their pets roam free around the neighborhood. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Defense attorney Donald Ray also referenced the dog's distress that day in questioning Marvin Karp. You've indicated you live right next door to him, correct? Yes. This is yeah. Now, from your house, while you were in your house, you'd be able to see portions of her house, correct? Yes. And I gather from your testimony, from your house, you would be able to see portions of her backyard, correct? Correct. Now, would it be accurate that you could not see all of her backyard from your house? That's correct. Now, for example, at this point and back then, you were aware that there was a back door to her house, correct? Yes. Could you see that back door from your house? Uh, no. Um, you indicated that you heard the dogs barking in her house from time to time, correct? Yes. So you were close enough, your home was close enough so that you could hear that while you were in your house, is that correct? Yes. Now, in the <coughs> hours before, or the day before, the time period that you saw these dogs, did you hear anything unusual coming from her house? No. Did you hear anything that sounded like a gunshot? No. Did you hear any screaming or yelling? No. Ray clearly was focused on sowing doubt in the jurors' minds by implicitly asking how Carp could hear the dogs barking from inside Berman's house, and yet not hear a gunshot. But the evident anxiety of these poor animals is also palpable in his testimony. And with all of Benedict Canyon's traffic and predatory wildlife, Lulu must have lucked out, because she made it safely down the block to Garfield's house. But that wasn't the end of Lulu's story. What happened next that day? Did you keep the dog? Kept the dog. Um, next meaning <clears throat> within what period of time? Well, that day. Um, did you keep the dog in your home that day? Kept the dog in the home, um, and... Um, uh, I remember feeding it something. I, I don't remember what I fed it. Um, I'm in a little bit of trouble because we had two cats and they weren't too happy about having a dog visit us. And um, so we were, uh, eventually put the cats back on the service porch. And I remember um, speaking with um, Boyd and Tess sitting on the couch holding the dog, petting the dog. Um, um, that's pretty much my memory, unless you have other specific questions. Well, um, Boyd and Tess, is that your...? Uh, my husband's uh, son, my uh, stepson, and his then fiance. Do you remember anything unusual about the dog <clears throat> as they were petting it, holding it? As I was petting it, what I, I thought there appeared to be blood on its paws. Okay. Um, did you go to the address on that tag that particular day, I after you left these messages? I did not. Okay. And as you sit here right now, the best of your memory, you didn't go there that day to the house? I do not remember going there that day. Okay. 
Did you see Susan Berman out there at all when these dogs were out there? No. Was she anywhere around that morning that you saw? No. Had you ever seen her dogs loose like that in this particular area before? First time. So that particular night, what happened to the dog? Uh, the dog slept in my husband's study and wrecked one of the carpets. And um, uh, the next, that's the dog slept <clears throat> in the study. Yeah. So you said it wrecked one of your carpets? It, it, well, it was trying to get out and then scratched the carpet to bits near the door. It's displaced your poor cats and now it's ruined your carpet. <laughs> was this a welcome guest? No, but it was a sweet little dog. It was a sweet little dog. And you decided to keep it for the night? Yeah. What happened the next day? The next day, I don't remember what time it was, but I um, decided I wanted to return, try to return the dog to uh, the address on, the, on its tag. I would ask you why, but I think I can guess. <laughs> you ask why. Why, why did you, you want to get rid of the dog? Well, I had a lot of things to do for Christmas. The dog was creating chaos with my cats, and um, I wanted it to go back home. Okay, so what did you do? What I did was uh, me and my husband and Boyd and Tess, my stepson and his then fiancé, walked up with the dog to uh, the, the address on the dog's tag. Okay. What did you do when you got there? And knocked on the door multiple times, um, and um, at least two dogs bigger than Lulu, uh, I could see through whatever window was there, and were wildly jumping up and down and barking. Okay. And, um, and then Boyd, my husband's son, um, said he wanted to climb over the fence to see what was going on. And I said, <clears throat> I felt something was very wrong. Please don't climb over the fence. Okay. And he didn't climb over the fence. And then we went next door, the, door, the house north of um, the Berman house, and knocked on the door. And a young couple answered. And we told them. Um, about Lulu and um, asked if they would take her and return her to um, Berman and or we didn't know Berman's name at the time but to the owner and they said they would do that. Okay, they agreed to do that? Yes. And this was the home um, you believe just adjacent mm -hmm. to Susan Berman's home? It was the one adjacent. As noted earlier, Garfield then walked to Catherine Shaw Cutter's residence to ask if Shaw Cutter could drop Lulu off at Berman's house. This leads us to the eventual 911 call reporting Berman's murder, presented during Shaw Cutter's testimony, and the police response to the call. We arrived at approximately 12.52 that afternoon. And where did, what did you do when you arrived? Uh, we met up with a, uh, another unit that was, uh, had gotten there just prior to us arriving. Had they already entered that particular residence and checked it out, or no? No, they were out front. What's the usual protocol in a situation like this? You respond to an open door call, another unit's there. What's the protocol? What do you guys do? Uh, usually, one, it, you, you would wait for an additional unit to come and uh, talk to them, come up with a plan of how you're going to approach the uh, call and the situation. That was Officer Rashad Sharif one of the first policemen on the scene. Uh, the plan was to uh, enter the residence 
through the rear yard and there was a rear door that was open and the plan was to walk down the side of the house and enter through the rear portion. Okay. And uh, did the four of you do that? Yes, we did. Did you know when you arrived that this was going to be a homicide scene? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Did you suspect this was going to be a homicide scene? No. What kind of call did you expect that you responded to? <clears throat> I won't say we get calls like this all the time, but normally we get an open door, open door and person, you know, left out the house without closing the door or forgot it was open. So this is the first call that I recall that I went to where open door actually turned into a uh, crime scene. Officer Sharif goes on to explain the moment he saw the body of Susan Berman, accompanied by graphic photographs of the crime scene. And as you enter this room, did you notice something <coughs> out of the ordinary as you're walking through, clearing the house, walking through this room? Yes, I did. What did you notice? Uh, there was a woman's body laying in the doorway of that, behind the uh, pink chair. And I'm going to show you what's been marked as People's 31B. <coughs> you see this photograph? Yes. Does this photograph fairly and accurately depict this room and the objects in the room as you walk through it? Yes, it does. And this body that you found, do you see this body in this photograph? Yes. Sharif then came into contact with Romeo and Golda. Lulu, of course, was already in the care of Shaw Cutter. Were there any animals on the premise? Yes. Tell us about that. Um, there was a, uh, a couple of dogs inside the residence, and I, I don't remember if it was two or three, but one of the dogs got out because we went through the door and going through the house, one of the dogs ran out. So two of the dogs we kept inside the other bedroom, not the one where the victim was found, was another bedroom, closed the door in that, and then me and my partner chased the dog down <coughs> Benedict Canyon out the house to try to retrieve the dog. Because okay. we have to research the, uh, search the house. Sharif's testimony, though graphic at times, with photos of the grisly crime scene displayed on the monitors, ends with a moment of levity. All right, now I'm going to put you on the spot, because I talked to him, so I got his answer, but which one of you, which one of you got the dog? Uh, I think Dave, my partner, he caught me. All right. I'm but faster than him, but he, 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 he <laughs> caught me. <laughs> As for the tone and tenure in the testimonies by Sharif, Garfield, and Karp, they were neither as jaw-dropping as Thomas Durst's or as emotional as Ann Anderson Doyle's, nor even as touching as Shaw Cutter's revelation that she adopted Lulu after Berman's death. Nevertheless, together they paint a clear picture of how a non-human eyewitness to Berman's murder left the sanctuary of her home, braved the many dangers of Benedict Canyon Drive and alerted Berman's neighbors that something was amiss. 
And thus Romeo, Golda, and Lulu join Boomer and the Igors in the pack of canines that populate the evidence in the trial of Robert Durst. That was The Pack of Canines in the Trial of Robert Durst by Chris Taracone. For more storytelling news and narrative analysis in the world of crime and justice, head on over to crimestory.com. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next Crime Story podcast. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.